On the 1st of November 2002, an 18-year-old girl shocked Brazil by crying uncontrollably at her parents' funeral. The image was transmitted across the country in all media platforms. The deaths were the result of a brutal crime. Soon, the national commotion would give way to outrage when the police discovered that this young woman might be responsible for the death of her own parents. Today, I will talk about the Brazilian case of Suzanne von Richthofen. Hello guys, how are you today? Welcome back to Mystery Archive. If you are new to this channel, don't forget to follow us on the streaming platform you are listening to now. This way, you will receive a notification every time a new episode comes out. Follow us on social media as well to learn a little bit more about me, about the channel, and also to be alert when I release a new episode. You can find us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive. Now, let's have a look at today's case. Manfred Richthofen was born in Germany. He and his family moved to São Paulo in 1974. He entered University of São Paulo on a civil engineer course where he met Marisa Silvia Abdala, who was of Lebanese descent and was studying medicine. The two got married, had their first daughter Suzanne von Richthofen in 1983, and in 1987, the couple welcomed their son Andreas Richthofen. Manfred and Marisa excelled in their professions and they became a very wealthy family. They enrolled their children to study in the best schools. At Suzanne's school, there was a room where only German was spoken and she soon mastered the language. She excelled in all subjects, was dedicated, but also had her days of skipping classes and passing cheats. This made her popular with her peers. Andreas was more reserved, introverted, and barely had any friends. Worried about this, his father presented him with a model airplane. Manfred's great-uncle was a renowned German aviator known as the Red Baron. His father was appointed to test the first squadron of Skuta dive bomber planes in World War II, later named Richthofen Squadron. Manfred always proudly told this story. In 1999, when Andreas turned 12, Manfred took him to the aeromodeling school club in São Paulo to encourage his interest in aeromodeling. The best instructor at the club was Daniel Cravinhos. He was assigned the responsibility to help Andreas with the sport. The Richthofen family periodically went to the club and on one occasion, Suzanne accompanied them. Daniel was immediately enchanted by her. As Andreas got closer and closer to Daniel, Suzanne started to feel attracted to him. The two started dating and she spent all her allowance on her boyfriend. They kept their romance a secret, and in 2002, at the age of 19, when Suzanne passed the entrance exam, Daniel quit his job at the club so that 
they could spend more time together. Suzanne told her parents that she was going to college, but in fact she was going to his house. Several times she brought her brother along. Andreas saw Daniel as another brother and Christian, Daniel's brother, as a great friend. Because the bond he had with them, he always covered for his sister when she wanted to go out with her boyfriend. When Suzanne told her parents about the relationship, they didn't approve. One night, Suzanne told her mother that she was going to sleep at a friend's house, but she spent the night with Daniel. Marizia, already suspicious, called the friend's house and found out it was a lie. The parents could no longer take the daughter's deceit. They waited for her to arrive home the next day and confronted her. They forbade her to see Daniel and said if she did, she would be sent to Germany to finish her studies there. The argument was so serious that Manfred slapped Suzanne across the face. She silently stared at him, then went upstairs to her room. At that moment, a mortal hatred for her parents, especially for her father, was born within her. From then on, Suzanne began to work on separating her parents, pitting one against the other, telling her mother lies, like having seen her father cheating on her with other women. Daniel was forbidden to enter their Richthofen mansion, but when Manfred and Marisa traveled out of Brazil for 30 days, Daniel and Suzanne stayed in their house as if they were on their honeymoon. During this time, Suzanne had an idea to convince her parents to buy an apartment for her, so she would not need to worry about home rules and Daniel could live with her. However, when her parents came back and this idea came out, Manfred said no. She only could have her own apartment when she could afford one herself. Suzanne increasingly defied her parents. She would arrive home late with Daniel and Manfred always kicked him out. Day by day, she was considering the idea of killing her parents. Suzanne convinced Daniel that killing them was the only way they could be together and with the parents dead, she would inherit a substantial amount of money. Together, they planned the crime. They watched movies and crime series such as CSI to learn how to stage a robbery murder scene. They even carried out tests with a firearm, but discarded the idea of using it because the noise would draw the attention of the neighbors. Daniel made weapons to be used in the crime, which would be iron sticks. He simulated the movements he would make in the attack and realized that his hands would be injured by the ferrous material. So, he decided to cover the iron with polished wood. Thus, he produced two iron rods covered with wood. On the night of October 30, 2002, 
Suzanne and Daniel took Andreas to a cybercafelan house. At 11 p.m., the couple said they were going out to celebrate their dating anniversary, but that he could stay there until they come back later to get him. Leaving the place, they met with Christian, Daniel's brother, the third part of the criminal plan. Inside the car, the three put on nylon stockings and gloves so as not to leave traces of DNA and fingerprints. Everyone was tense. The brothers hesitated, wondering if it wasn't better to give up, but Suzanne didn't want to stop it. Once at the property, Daniel was still reluctant, but Suzanne told him her father abused her physically and he had to make it stop. She hinted that her father was sexually abusing her. This aroused Daniel's fury and convinced him to continue with the plan. She went upstairs, made sure her parents were sleeping, and went back to the brothers who were waiting for the signal. The two went upstairs. Daniel took charge of Manfred and Christian took charge of Marisia. They began to strike the couple in the head region with their sticks. Manfred died immediately while Marisia tried to defend herself. Part of her hand was crushed with the blows. All this time, Suzanne was waiting in the living room listening to music on her headphones. She squeezed them with her hands so as not to hear any noise from her parents' room. The three ransacked the family's bedroom and office. Suzanne found her father's suitcase, which she knew contained money. The suitcase had a security code lock. Suzanne knew the code, but thought the suitcase material to make the police tank who had done it had no idea how to open it. Inside of the suitcase, they found $5,000, 6,000 euros, and 8,000 reais, Brazilian currency. These were immediately given to Christian as payment for the crime. On their way out, they washed their batons and hands in the house's pool, threw the tanks used in the crime in an unknown location, left Christian at his house and went to a motel. There, Daniel and Suzanne asked for the bathroom, stayed until 3 in the morning, and on the way out, they demanded an invoice in a possible attempt to create an alibi. They went to get Andreas and at approximately 4 o'clock, with Daniel gone, Suzanne and Andreas entered the house. Suzanne said something was strange as the door was open. In the kitchen, Suzanne gave her brother a knife and suggested they both wait outside. Maybe someone could still be in the house. Outside, she called Daniel and explained that something was weird. He set off to her house and along the way, he called the police. Upon arriving, the police at first suspect robbery. The couple's death was confirmed and one of the police officers asked Daniel to break the news to Suzanne and Andreas. He approaches, hugs them, and informs them that the police had found Manfred and Marisia dead in the couple's room. Andreas's eyes 
widened in shock, and he turned away, starting to cry. Suzanne, without showing any reaction of surprise, approached one of the police officers and asked what would be the procedure now. Her strange attitude was noted by the policeman. They sealed off the house for investigation and the crime was publicly announced as a robbery. On November 1st, the wake took place and Suzanne's sadness, which moved those present, did not convince the experts. Two days later, November 3rd, it was Suzanne's birthday and she threw a party at the mansion's pool filled with alcohol, drugs and very loud music. During the investigation, in her testimony, Suzanne gave the names of former employees of the family who supposedly could have participated in the crime. But what caught the attention of the authorities was her alibi. When asked where she was at the time of the crime, Suzanne said that she and Daniel were in a motel and to prove it, she immediately took an invoice out of her purse. It's important to make one thing clear, that motel here in Brazil is a place that people can rent per hour. Usually they use it for datings, I mean sexual datings. Despite it being popular places, they are discreet. And in Brazil, for someone request an invoice of this is kind of weird. And this was a warning for the investigators. On one of the following days, Dr. Ricardo Salada, a criminal expert, went to the mansion to do an analysis on the couple's bed to find out which instrument had been used in the crime and he found Suzanne and Daniel calmly in the house as if they were the owners and nothing had happened. At the same time, the police discovered that Christian used a friend as an orange to buy a Kawasaki Ninja motorcycle on October 31st, about 10 hours after the crime. In Brazil, an orange is a third-party individual whose name and identity serves as a front for illegal activities. They act as a facade. For example, a criminal gets a friend to buy a car in their own name, then gives the friend money in exchange for it. The orange person buys the car, has the name on it, but the criminal is the owner. So, according to the police, Christian paid someone else, an orange, to buy a motorcycle for him, using the money he got as payment for the crime. On November 7th, Suzanne, Daniel, Christian and Andreas were at the police station to give further testimonies. The couple held each other whispering, exchanging caresses, occasionally even laughing. This behavior only increased the suspicion of the police. In contrast, Andreas was always sad and crestfallen. When questioned separately, the police, already aware of the purchase of the motorcycle, put pressure on Christian. A few hours later, he confessed everything. Daniel also confessed. He had no way to cover up the story 
but Suzanne resisted for much longer and only admitted everything when she was told of the brothers' confession. All of them were accused of tribal homicide. On November 13th, during a simulated reproduction, Suzanne remained cool and recalled a wealth of detail about the murders. Three separated reconstructions were made with the three accused. Suzanne showed no emotion and Daniel was very shaken and the police had to stop the reconstruction several times. In 2006, on July 17th, the three were tried and sentenced to 39 years in prison. At Carandiru Penitentiary in São Paulo, Suzanne faced the repercussions of her crime. She received a letter from Daniel saying that he was breaking up with her because she had ruined his life. Maria Bonita, a dangerous detainee and gang member, threatened to kill Suzanne unless she paid her a substantial amount of money. Suzanne would have to arrange a monthly deposit of 1,800 reais into a bank account given to her by Maria Bonita. A penitentiary agent named Marisol advised Suzanne that she should not give in to her demands or she would become a gang slave. Marisol helped Suzanne as well, giving her a job in the prison infirmary. As she needed protection, Suzanne decided to start flirt with the doctor of the place. At the end of a shift, she tried to kiss him. He pushed her away, saying she should not do that. He was gay, there was no chance for something like that to happen. He also warned her that there was going to be a rebellion the next day and that she was the target. They would use her as a hostage to get media attention. If she wanted to live, she needed to hide. Suzanne told the prison guards what the doctor had told her and they locked her in a closet for her own protection. During the rebellion, the inmates tied Marisol to a gas cylinder and threatened to blow her up if she didn't say where Suzanne was. After 22 hours of tension, 12 prisoners were transferred, including Suzanne. They went to Tremembé prison. One inmate had died. Suzanne would have to adapt, but she also wanted to be a kind of Maria Bonita there. She met a respected and feared inmate named Sandra Ruiz, who everyone called Sandrão. Sandrão, in Portuguese, means Big Sandra. As Sandrão was gay, Suzanne saw an opportunity and wasted no time. The two got married in jail in October 2014. But some time later, in an interview, Sandra said that now she knows that Suzanne had just taken an opportunity to be protected and respected in jail. In Tremembé, Suzanne made other friends, including Ana Carolina Jatobá, a woman accused of the crime against her stepdaughter Isabella Nardoni, a six-year-old girl who was thrown from an apartment window. The two were seen together several times. 
By the way, I have this case here in my channel, link is in the card in the description below as well. A prison colleague, Luciana Oberg, was often visited by her brother, Rogério Oberg, and Rogério said he thought Susan was very pretty and was enchanted by her, but she never paid him any attention. Rogério is an evangelical member of a church and used to visit his sister and evangelize the prisoners. Susan only showed interest after the court warned that she should have a fixed address to try to migrate to a same open regime. Seeking another opportunity for her own benefit, she agreed to have contact with Rogério. They corresponded through letters for four months before becoming personally involved with their first kiss at the prison. She used his address as a fixed address to be entitled to annual log tanks. At the time, she was already separated from Sandrão. In Brazil, each year, some prisoners are entitled to 35 days out of prison. The benefit is divided into holidays and commemorative dates such as Christmas, Father's Day and Mother's Day. What is a joke here, and I say joke because a lot of Brazilians complain about it, you know, I'm Brazilian and I can see all these things everywhere every year, is she is allowed to be free from prison on Mother's and Father's Days even after everything she did. Rogério and Suzanne got engaged, but he visited her until October 2019 when the fights between the couple intensified. He found out that Suzanne had hidden from him the existence of a bank account that kept dividends and investments including more than 100,000 reais she received from the TV presenter Gugu Liberato for a 2015 interview. However, Suzanne denied that she was paid any money for the interview, but at the same time, she never could explain where the money came from. Daniel got married in 2014 and left prison in 2018. Between the closed and semi-open regime, he spent 15 years and 3 months in prison, gaining a reduced sentence for good behavior and for working days making tables and chairs for public schools. Christian gained same open status in 2017, but in 2018 he was arrested again for getting involved in a bar fight. He tried to bribe the officers to not arrest him. He was later sentenced to four years and eight months in prison for attempt bribery. With regard to the Histofen family inheritance, Judge José Ernesto Bittencourt considered Suzanne unworthy of the right to inherit the estate left by her parents and determined that the estate be handed over in full to Andreas. Andreas studied pharmacy and biochemistry. He holds a doctorate in organic chemistry, but despite all the promising advancement in his career, he was unable to overcome the traumas he suffered from the crime. In 2017, he was found dirty and alone while tried to break into a house 
in Morumbi, São Paulo. He was eventually taken away by the police and was admitted to a psychiatric hospital diagnosed with mental confusion. In February 2020, Andreas was found with his clothes torn and his legs marked by abrasions. In the hospital chart, the boy was described as someone with poor hygiene and glassy eyes. He admitted to having used alcohol and narcotics. Dr. Miguel Abdala, Andreas' uncle on his mother's side and guardian of him when he was a minor, went to the unit as soon as he heard about the incident. But the boy had already been transferred to another place, a clinic specialized in the recovery of drug users where visits would only be allowed after 30 days. There is little news about how he is these days. In January 2023, Suzanne was granted the right to the open regime, which means that since then she can get out of jail and lead a normal life outside, but must return every day to sleep in prison. Two film productions about the case were also made. The films tell different versions of the crime. One shows it from Suzanne's point of view and the other from the Cravinho's brother's point of view. Their titles are The Girl Who Killed Her Parents and The Boy Who Killed My Parents. Neither Suzanne nor the brothers received any amounts related to the works. Well, guys, that was today's case. Share this episode with your friends and help our channel grow. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. I see you in the next case. Hey, você se interessa por crimes reais, serial killers, coisas macabras e tem um senso de humor um tanto quanto sórdido? Se sim, você não está sozinho. Se você precisa de um lugar recheado de pessoas como você, venha conhecer o podcast Pátria Amada Criminal. Todas as semanas tentamos entender o pior da humanidade. Nesse processo a gente ri, chora, fica brava, fofoca, porque afinal de contas é assim que a gente fala quando está entre amigos. Suas novas melhores amigas trevosas estão aqui no Pátria Amada Criminal. 